Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. We're very glad you're with us. We are starting a brand new series tonight. So uh, I'm sure some of you are very excited about that after I went 23 weeks into the last one. Um, but that just happens. This one could be long as well. Uh, I'm calling this Living is Christ. And I want to take some time to talk about the life that we have in Christ, to talk about what, what living really is, you know, the, to, to look at the full and abundant life we've been promised in Christ. And uh, we live in this time where there's so much fear and there's so many crazy things going on. And, you know, um, every, virtually every weekend there's a new, you know, and a bad situation somewhere. And we, as we said last week, you know, I just encourage you to pray for all those things that are going on. But, but I want to make sure we don't get stuck in that mess and that we're, we're living life in Christ, that we understand that that's what it's all about and that even in the midst of chaos and craziness, He has a purpose for us, He has life for us, and it's something that we all need to understand and get a hold of. So um, we're going to look at lots of different things on this uh, journey, and I'm going to get to the passage of Scripture we're going to deal with when we first go into Philippians in just a moment. So that's where we're heading. That's the intro. Transition, there's always a bad joke. I heard that there was a new store called Moderation. Apparently, they have everything in there. Everything in Moderation. Now, it's, it's not as funny when I have to explain it. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of stores, I was in one of those giant, giant big box stores the other day, and a, and a salesman was trying to sell me a coffin, and I told him that was the last thing I needed. Okay, we have Scripture reading here on purpose, Philippians 1, 20 through 27. This is the Apostle Paul. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Blessed be the word of the Lord. I want to focus in today on that first verse, verse 20, where Paul says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death in no way be ashamed. I want to start this entire series by talking about um, and taking a good look at shame and how we're to deal with shame in our lives. So that's the first point in your notes. Let's just jump right into it. The first point in your notes is shame. Now, one of the favorite tricks of the evil one is to use shame to keep you from experiencing life, the real, full, and abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And my hope is that, that we're going to expose this trick so that his, the enemy's illegitimate use of it 
will no longer steal life from you. Far too many believers in Christ are having their lives stolen from them because of the way that the enemy uses shame to keep us from experiencing life. So even if you can't define the word shame, all of us have felt it because all of us have done things of which we're ashamed. Shame is that, that feeling that we've, we've radically disappointed ourselves, we've, we've radically disappointed our friends, we've radically disappointed God. And as, as, you know, as a matter of fact, shame is a very painful emotion. It's so painful that, that people will do anything to avoid it. But I want to go back and look at it, and I want you to see that shame was not part of the original creation. So we're going to take a quick look back in Genesis 2 and also at Genesis 3 where it talks about that, that God created Adam and Eve and the man and his wife, they were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. I want you to try and imagine just for a moment what it would be like. Imagine being completely available and transparent and having nothing in your life of which you're ashamed, not a, a single thought that you know will elicit disappointment if someone else knows about it. Think about what that might possibly feel like in your life, to, to have that experience going on. And, and Adam and Eve, in the original creation, experienced this. In Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. See, they were, they were naked and unashamed. They were innocent and transparent. They were in communion with, with each other and with the God who made them. And so that's what's happening in Genesis 2. Then Genesis 3 takes place. And everything shatters. The, the serpent, who's a, an instrument of the evil one, he comes and he seduces Adam and Eve. And he contradicts God by promising Adam and Eve that if they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they will not die. In fact, he says, they'll be like God. That they'll be their own gods. And with this, Adam and Eve, they, they take the bait and they, they eat from the tree and they experience the fall. And here's the thing. Rather than knowing good and evil, they end up simply knowing that they're naked. That's all they got out of that deal. That's all they know. And the cover-up begins. Adam and Eve are now naked and, 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 and ashamed. They went from being they, uh, completely unashamed, and now they're experiencing shame. Let me read it to you, Genesis 3, 1 through 10. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the uh, tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Let me just clarify. Adam is right there in this process. People want to blame Eve all the time. Adam's standing right there. He's part of the deal. He could have said no. He could have said, honey, don't do it. He could have done a lot of things. Both of them buy in to the lie. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The fall takes place, and the human race emerges from the garden shame-based. Now our instinctive reaction is to cover up as we go into hiding from one another and from God. We don't want anyone to see us as naked, vulnerable, defenseless. So we create a false front. And, and this is the hole in our souls. This is the, the source of our addictions and our compulsions and our brokenness is this cover-up. And, and, and we, we step into it and we walk into it and all this mess springs from that place. But God has a cure for shame and I want to get to that in just a moment, but I want to look at some of the consequences that are impacting people and how the enemy uses shame in illegitimate ways to steal life from us. So let's just talk about consequences real quick. That's point number two. Consequences. Paul says this in Romans seven fifteen. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Anybody relate to that? That's the Apostle Paul, 30 years in as a believer. Long time walking with the Lord. I love that stuff. Paul's like us. See, if shame isn't dealt with, it can lead to paranoia. It can lead to an excessive perfectionism. It can, it can leave a person feeling like a doormat for others. It can lead to all sorts of other isolating behaviors. And, and I, I just want to touch on them before we get to the, the cure of this. So, like, many people are paranoid. They're afraid. Fear just, you know, abounds nowadays. And the root cause of that fear is shame. To a, to a paranoid person, everyone out there is out to get them. Uh, everybody is, is really there to destroy them or to reveal them for who they think they, they are. And they're terrified. Adam said, I was fearful. And I hid myself. They're, they're terrified of the possibility of exposure. And, and so they, they, they take on all sorts of um, ways to keep themselves at a distance and to keep themselves isolated, protective mechanisms that are almost impossible to penetrate. It's fear based on shame. Another thing that happens is this trap of perfectionism. And you know, let me say it's, it's not... You know, if something's worth doing, I'm, a, I'm all in, it's worth doing right. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that's not the issue. But what I'm talking about is this, this perfectionism that leads to a sense of judgmentalism and a, and a sense of hypercriticism. And, and it's, it's rooted in shame because the person has said, I am never going to be shamed again. And as a result, I'm going to build this system around me and everything is going to be done right and everyone around me is going to jump through the same hoops that, that I do and if they don't jump through those hoops, then uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to exist in, in my sort of atmosphere, in my, my spot and, and, um, and so you better do it right and, and all of a sudden we become hypercritical and we're judging everything and everyone because they're not living up to the standards that we are setting for ourselves based on shame instead of love and, and reality and the things they should be based on. And so the, the fear behind that is the shame again of what other people think. So they're going to do it right. A lot of people get stuck in that. Some people, because of shame, become doormats for other people. And what happens is they've experienced so much shame that they believe that they have to be shamed. They're constantly insecure. They're always feeling as though they're disappointing, disappointing everyone around them. And, and they're trapped based on shame. And there's, there's many other uh, 
isolating behaviors. There's many other compulsions and addictions that we turn to because of this shame. And, and I, can't, I can't go into all of them today because I, I want to I jump into the good news because that's my favorite part. So here's, here's what's so cool. We're doing all this hiding because of shame, right? Whatever it is that we're hiding behind, whatever mask we're wearing, whatever behaviors we're into, all those things. But while we're in hiding, God comes looking for us just like he did with Adam and Eve after the fall. He searches us out to break through our shame, forgive us, and fill the emptiness in our soul with himself. It's an amazing thing. It happened there at the fall. You saw it. And I want to talk about how it happens continually. So this is point three. This is the cure. So, so God has a cure for, for this attack from the enemy about how he uses shame against us. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Despising, there's another word there, its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right there at the cross, all those things going on. Jesus is dealing with shame on our behalf. In fact, what he's saying is, bring it on, I'll take it. I'll bear it all your shame. I'll bear it all. I'll take it right here, right now. You can't destroy me. And what Jesus does as a death, as a result of the death and resurrection, is that he says to all of us, shame cannot take you down. It cannot destroy you. Just like death, the sting of shame has been taken out of it. And he's the remedy. And he's the cure for us. And see, see, so so just like at the, in Genesis 3, Jesus comes, having endured the cross, he comes now without shame, having dealt with it. And he sees everything that we try and cover up. He sees all our brokenness. He sees all our shame. And yet he's totally welcoming. How amazing is, is how the Lord pursues us in this process and in the midst of it. So what do we do? What do we do with our shame? First off, little letter A under there. You need to know it's covered. So our shame is covered. After the fall in Genesis 3, God sews skins together to clothe Adam and Eve. It's a picture of the coming clothing of Jesus. His righteousness to cover the ugliness of our shame. In Revelation 3.18, look at this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see to cover shameful nakedness do you get it all they figured out was they were naked that's all they learned and and because of it came shame and he says i have clothes for you that cover it all there's an old vineyard song it's funny to say old vineyard songs like movement's only been around since the 70s but uh, and, and they, they sing, I am here to buy gold, refined in the fire, naked and poor, wretched and blind I come, clothe me in white, so I won't be ashamed. Lord, light the fire again. See, this, this clothing that's offered to us in Jesus is a covering for the shame. And it's the forgiveness 
of God. It's the grace of God. It's covered. Been dealt with at the cross. Jesus comes and meets us without shame. And in all the midst of our brokenness says, come on in. I got clothes for you. Clothes that will cover it. So you don't have to bear it any longer. I bared it for you. So it's covered. Then little letter B. Surrendered. It has to be surrendered. See, the enemy, that's, his, that's where he gets us. He, he doesn't. He tricks us into not surrendering our shame. It's already been covered, and we kind of hang on to it. And, and, and so our, our shame is covered, and then it has to be surrendered. That's sort of what we, we're going to give to the Lord. And because and we kind of struggle, we go, okay, yeah, I, even, I get it, I'm forgiven, but I don't want anybody to know. I'm, I don't, what if people find out what I'm really like? David. King David struggled with this. In the Psalm, Psalm 25, in verse 1 and 2, he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. He cries, Lord, don't let me be put to shame. Because if you read about King David, he's a man after God's own heart, but he makes some bad choices and decisions. And he, he does some things that he shouldn't have done. Uh, you know, like adultery, murder cover up um, the man after God's own heart the mighty king and he's, he's crying out I, 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 and he, and I, I don't want people to know and yet this, everybody finds out and he, he's like you know, not, how do I deal with it and what he comes to is he realizes that that really doesn't make any difference because he knows where he stands now in God that he's covered, he's forgiven and so he's, he's not going to allow that to take him down. See, and when you surrender it, when you just go, God, I'm, I trust in you no matter what, it takes the power out of it. The enemy can't use it anymore. We've all messed up. We're all broken. We're all like King David, a man after God's own heart. We're all just like that. But, but when we get to God and get right and just, you know, get honest with him, he covers that mess and it takes the power out of it. It takes the power out of it. Knowing that takes the power of shame away. He says in Psalm 25, verse 15, later on, My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only He will release my feet from the snare. So I'm going to keep my eyes on Him, because He's the one that lets the trap go. The enemy would love to keep me in that snare. It's a powerful snare, shame. If He can keep you under it, He does. He steals life from you. Throughout your entire life, so many people who love Jesus, and you've got that part down, your salvation's, you know, solid in Him, but you don't experience life because the, the enemy just beats you over the head with this shame thing, and you, and you haven't surrendered it. Just give it up. You've come to Christ. You're covered. Let Him have it. You can trust Him. And then it has to be replaced, so it has to be covered. And, and, and then it, it, it has to be surrendered and it has to be replaced. That's C. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Listen to this. Because Jesus quotes this in Luke. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment in pra of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the day of His splendor. Just skip down with me to verse 7. 
Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land. And everlasting joy will be theirs. Listen, he says, I'll take the ashes of humiliation, the ashes of shame, and I'll give you instead the beauty of a garland. He says, I'll take the oil of gladness and give it to you instead of mourning. And I'll give you the garments of praise instead of despair. I'm going to give you something to substitute for that awful shame. And it will be put away so that you can press on. Wow. Covered, surrendered, replaced. And so instead of the crippling effect of shame, we can experience the life-changing joy and peace of the Lord. It's what you got to take on. Covered, surrendered, replaced. And, and so let me say to everyone today, if you're in a prison of fear or in a prison of shame or in a prison of insecurity, that you're absorbed about what you think people think about you, and, and you, you, you just shrink back because of the possibility of being exposed, just, just come to Jesus. Let Him clothe you. He covers you. Give it to Him. Surrender it. It takes the power out of it. And let it be replaced with His mercy, and with His grace, and with the blessing of God so that you can experience full and abundant life now and forever in Christ. Living is Christ. That's what Paul was saying. That's what it's all about. So I, I just wanted to get here because I see this as one of the big problems, this, this whole thing. Paul starting out, in no way be ashamed. And, and just remember that. In no way be ashamed. Just, just know that it's covered. Surrender it to the Lord. Replaced with the joy and the peace and the blessings of God. And that's where we begin to experience life in Him. Amen? Amen. If you're watching by video, thank you so much for doing that. Or on the webcast, hope to see you soon. You know where we're at. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a prayer page. We'd be happy to pray for you. But that's where we're going to end it tonight.